Welcome to Episode Party, the podcast where we talk about our favourite podcasts. I'm Jack Tudor. I'm Freddie Harrison. And our guests this time are the History Chicks, which are Susan Vollenweider and Beckett Graham. Hello! Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, it's nice to be here. Lovely to have you. We're going to dive into some recommendations and Freddie is going to kick us off. So Freddie, get the wheels turning. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I'd try something that different, took me mate. Completely off guard. <laughs> um, okay, my recommendation um, is it's a tech podcast, which um, I've I've recommended a few tech podcasts in the past, but this isn't uh, the normal kind of tech podcast I listen to. And I guess it's a reactionary thing to uh, everything that's going on with technology right now in kind of current current affairs and i think you know we, we've touched upon this before that, that there are a lot of um podcasts at the moment that are focusing on this kind of apparent dystopia we've created in in technology with regards to privacy and uh online data and uh how our lives are being taken over and and technology is addictive and it's being made to be addictive and and it's and it's changing the way we are and we we have little control over our online selves and how our information is shared and capitalized upon (laughs) and so this uh this podcast uh doesn't cover any of that which is quite lovely (laughs) actually um and that's why i chose it um uh, there's an argument here that the the kind of subjects that are covered in it are, are pretty trivial um but i almost like that in a way as a kind of welcome break from some of the heavier things that are going on right now in technology and it still has uh i think some really interesting angles to to look at it from i guess so the podcast is called why'd you push that button and it's hosted by ashley carman and caitlin tiffany who are uh, both reporters at the verge I, I think caitlin tiffany's actually moved on from the verge now but they were both reporters at the verge at least at one point and um i i like the verge's journalism we've spoke about the verge cast which is their main podcast on a, on a previous episode but what i like about this is that they take these kind of seemingly very trivial issues in the world of technology for example this episode that i've chosen to recommend is about uh why people ignore uh facebook event invites and that is a a largely trivial thing but it's certainly something that's come up in conversation with friends of mine before and similarly they've they've touched upon other issues that have um are relatively trivial in in the grand scheme of things but are things that people talk about i guess or at least people i know talk about maybe well discover in a second that no one else talks about these things (laughs) but um what i guess what i like about it the most is that although these things are relatively minor like whether someone ignores your uh, event invite on facebook or not is a is is a minor thing for the most part there's a kind of deeper psychology to this i guess or a kind of behavioral study to this i guess in the way that people interact 
uh, with this technology and in turn in how this technology is designed to kind of interact with us and to respond to our psychology as humans and actually they they almost get into this in the conversation where they uh, chat with a designer at Facebook and he explains how they have approached the kind of wording and the terminology and the language around uh, Facebook event invite RSVP statuses and and how that uh, changes depending on whether it's a public or a private event and what effect it has when the event host knows that someone has seen their event invite but hasn't replied and things like that and I think this stuff's all interesting and actually in a really roundabout way just to round this off I, I, I think actually all relates back to these bigger issues around what we give up to technology in terms of our personal information because these tiny little decisions are all coming together to form a bigger bigger decision in the way that we behave online so all these tiny things that we do or don't do as a result of the design of a particular piece of technology online uh, informs the how much we trust that bit of technology and i and i think you know there's an argument to say that something like facebook's trusted too much by people right now i think that's certainly something that's come up in the news of late and um so Although this stuff's trivial, it's it's almost a nice break from the bigger stuff. At the same time, I think it has a link to the bigger stuff, and therefore I thought I'd recommend it. Um, Jack, <laughs> let me know what me. you thought. Well, I actually feel like I get more from your analysis than I do from the podcast, in a way, in that I think I'm, I'm quite a dystopian guy, as as they come, I guess. <laughs> like I'm quite interested in that dystopian side of tech, and I think when I saw this podcast being called Why'd You Push That Button? And I was like, yeah, why did I push that button? I think that they were... I, I wanted them to mine into that ground, that sort of awkwardness that's um, funneling up between uh, sort of... There's a discordance between like us as human beings and how we interact and having to like funnel all of this uh, social energy into this technology and there's such a an awkwardness about that and a strangeness about that um, but I think as you mentioned these sound like some of the conversations that I have as well where I talk about the fact that no one's replied to my event uh, or something like that you know but it, it never really digs uh, deeper down like deeper into the topic I mean it sort of does I mean you mentioned the interviews there but a lot of them are interviews with people that feel reminiscent of people in my life who have had very similar circumstances where you know someone hasn't uh, you know, replied to their uh, what was it? Was it a hen party that she was trying to organise? And um, it, it, I, I wanted more from it, I think. And maybe that's because of my expectation that the podcast didn't hit the spot. I think you're right that there's a case for this podcast maybe uh, dealing with the lighter side of technology. But I wanted more about that social discordance. And there's one bit in like the last two minutes, I think, where they start talking about that and the fact that maybe we're anxious about these uh, read receipts, uh, which is another one I've listened to, and these event invites um, not being replied to because they say more about our relationships as people with each other. And I think there was almost a glimmer of what I wanted more from uh, as a podcast. Um, but like I say, I, it could be that actually now I go listening to a podcast about tech and I want the most apocalyptic conclusion at the end of it because I get a weird <laughs> satisfaction mm. out of that. So uh, I'm intrigued to hear what um, you think, Beckett and Graham. I mean, Beckett, you already sort of uh, fed a, a little snippet of what you think of this one to me. <laughs> I'm intrigued to get an elaboration on it. Well, the, uh, for the first part, they do make some cracks 
at the elders in the beginning, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I think there is, um, look at me talking like a wise elder. I think there is an anxiety, as you mentioned, inherent in the younger generations that might just be absent from mine. Hmm. Um, when I was listening to this show, I thought, Okay, it would never occur to me to regard a Facebook event as a real invitation to anything. <laughs> for, for number one, I assume that if you send that, you know, um, kind of a riff on the old Hallmark commercial when you care enough to send the bare minimum, you know, um, I assume it's some sort of blanket invitation. If they really wanted me personally, Beckett Graham, to know about it, I have... I would have found out about it another way. Hmm. So, um, and frankly, I like that people can see that I looked at it and didn't respond. Like, bye. <laughs> I hope that, hope that trains you not to send me those kind of things again, you know? So uh, I wonder, and um, I need to go and listen, if someone that was not um, maybe a digital native like yourselves, obviously, or the host of this show would relate to the things they talked about in the same way. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. I'm I mean, totally with you, Beckett. Well, I'm noticing that on top of all the other things you have to know about your friends, you have to know their preferred method of communication. And it is a minefield. Right. Mm. I mean, if I get a phone call, I assume it's my mom, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and if I get an email, I assume it's someone who doesn't know me very well. Mm. So, um, you know, that's just another thing you have to know about um, your friends. And I... I Again, wonder if that's generational. That, that's the thing, because I think um, uh, there is also this social stratering which is starting to take place, which I think you, you mentioned there, which exists for some people and not others. So I think for a lot of people, their primary communication with each other, if they're intimate and they're close, is by text, is by means that are perhaps a bit closer to our pocket than, you know, on a, a laptop. I mean, um, mm-hmm. obviously, <laughs> Facebook isn't reserved to just a laptop. But I mean, that, that, then maybe that's also where some of the discomfort lies it's like if facebook is designed to deal with people on mass then the minutiae of just dealing with people one-to-one starts to uh feel very vulnerable unless of course yeah you want people to get the message to you know piss off and stop sending invites <laughs> i mean where do you are, you are both of you like social media is there much of that that you do i mean was there was there any part of this that you thought okay that has some some resonance with the way that you use social media not much i I have to say i'm i i listened to the show i was like okay i got one or two things out of it so i'm glad i I loved the conversation with the facebook engineer whatever he was event Mm -hmm. guy yeah um I thought that was interesting. It, it answered a lot of questions like the read receipt. I had no idea why we have those. I hate him because, yeah. you know, they know I read it. Now I have to respond. But um, do you, I can, though? Well, no, you don't. <laughs> okay. Beckett, <laughs> rebel. I don't. <laughs> As an obliger, I feel, well, I'm talking about, like, my friends, you know, and they know if I'll respond fast or not. I, I think they'll get it. But there's still a level of anxiety for me, just a little bit. Now, so I, I understand it. It's kind of a, this is why we can't have nice things situation. Because people complain that no one was seeing the invitations, when in fact they were indeed seeing the invitations, they were just ignoring them. So that's why they put this in there. I get it. But scrolling down through the subject matter of this entire podcast, the first episode is, why do you super like people on Tinder? And I'm like, I'm not on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm a married woman. I'm not a Tinder person at all. So I scrolled up. Why do you like celebrity photos on Instagram? I'm like, I don't think I ever have. <laughs> and um, why, well, this, why do people... Uh, why do you stalk people on Venmo? And my first question was, what the hell is Venmo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you So there. I'm clearly not their demographic. However, my demographic is on Facebook a lot. So I'm with Beckett completely. Uh, you know, I never, ever respond immediately to a Facebook invite. I never do and I never will because you have to go off. You have so many other people. Uh, my life, I have so many other people's schedules to coordinate with. I can't just say, mm. yeah, I'll go and then find out my kid has a baseball game. So there's no way I could, I would ever, I look at it and then I go. So that's the thing with my generation. And I think we all understand that at this level. Yeah. Right. See, these are the kind of discussions that I think are really interesting about this kind of thing, where how different people interface with this technology and how that affects how this whole social etiquette uh, comes into play. I mean, I guess if you are like me and Freddie, who are a bit more, I guess, obsessively, that's a strong word, isn't it? But wired in, I think the immediacy of everything starts to skew your expectations socially, where suddenly it's like, why haven't they replied? I know they're plugged in as well. Um, I mean, Fre- Freddie, what, what do you think? Because I, I think I think that this is the kind of thing that I want the podcast to dig into uh, a bit more. And I feel like it just mm. stays on the surface. But is that what you're after there? Well, I guess, I guess there's, there's different types of... Um, I mean, if this was the study of sociology, um, which is not, <laughs> but if it was, there are different types of research, right? There, are, there's the kind of there's the kind of base level, shallow research of chatting to people and just getting their opinions on a very uh, superficial level, I guess, of what they do and why they do it. And then there's digging in further, isn't there? And I think this podcast very much leans towards that shallow, shallow end. But I guess, I guess what I guess it goes back to what I was saying originally, which is that like I listen to a lot of podcasts about technology, and they all kind of serve different purposes. And and this this one deals with the kind of shallows, I guess, of of um, of of how we interact with technology. And there are other podcasts that do a different job of digging into subjects a bit deeper. But I guess it's difficult to to kind of pinpoint my attraction. I guess I uh, to this, and I guess that maybe this two schools of thought one is that i work in media and therefore have to kind of keep on top of um how people who are probably much younger than me uh use technology which is why this podcast is particularly compelling or i'm just desperately trying to cling on to my early 20s Um, (laughs) one of those two things is happening here and i i I almost feel like we should move on and not speculate as to which one it is (laughs) we don't want to dwell on that it leads us quite nicely, I think. We're talking a bit about uh, generational difference. Beckett, your podcast recommendation, would you like to tell us a bit about it? Absolutely. I'm going to recommend The Illusionist, which is a podcast about language, basically its uses and its history, really the convoluted journey some concepts had to make to arrive to be with us here in the modern day. The host is Helen Zaltzman, who also hosts the Answer Me This podcast, which I understand is extraordinarily popular. 
And um, she's had episodes on accents, about puns and naughty words, baby talk, emotions, brunch, uh, and other portmanteau type words. This (laughs) show really does it all. And she has experts on different aspects of each concept with her. So you get what, in essence, is a 360 degree picture of the whole thing. So that is what I like about it. The episode that I chose to focus on, um, I, is this by chance? I really don't know. Is called Generation <laughs> What? And it is all about the terms and the concepts of millennials, Gen X, and baby boomers. And uh, you know what? There are things I... It's how your cohort affects your life, regardless of its name, mm. which I like that she doesn't just focus on where the names come from. And mm. of course, it's different in different countries. There are things that made a big impact on me that perhaps you, as I assume millennials, I have not seen you in person, but um, um, things that like the, the falling of the Berlin Wall was the shock heard around the world where, you know, if you were born at all, I'm sure that you did not care about that. You were very small children watching the television. So things like that can really shape how a generation acts. I mean, poor old us, Gen X, we're the forgotten middle children Um, she spends hardly any time on gen x at all in the show which we're frankly very used to Um, we are (laughs) well i myself was born in the year of the least the lowest fertility in the united states and you can kind of tell our whole lives we've had you know tons more space in our school you, you know that kind of thing so you know unlike what people younger than us think Um, we were on computers in second or third grade at school. So it didn't just spring upon us in our 30s. um, It wasn't so all-encompassing. So we're familiar, but we're not drowning in it, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, we likely still had to go to a computer lab in college, but we probably were early adopters of computers at home. I remember getting on Usenet, for example, which was... um, very, very proto-Facebook in the late mm-hmm. 80s, where you could pose your question, go make a sandwich, come back, <laughs> and maybe your page was loaded. <laughs> um, so I like that aspect that she's talking about, just the societal perceptions of the different generations. Also, little facts, like in Britain, evidently, according to one of her episodes, you view the use of please as um more polite if someone doesn't say please they're rude and in america Mm -hmm. if someone says please we assume they are trying to assert some authority over us and we are not very well about it (laughs) wow (laughs) i didn't realize that yeah so we we're we're really hung up on that there's not a please we're (laughs) well huffy um so uh, i i haven't listened to this podcast for about four years and i have no idea why because as soon as helen zaltzman said what is she at the beginning of the podcast she describes it as leaving a passive aggressive note on the language's wonkily parked car i was like Mm -hmm. this is someone who deserves to be picking apart language for a living like she clearly Mm -hmm. lives and breathes and embodies her subject matter and this is one of those podcasts where you can hear someone who is so invested in what they're talking about like we've had a few i think freddie on this show where it's people talking about a subject that they've spent their life in 
and they are just so buzzed to be talking about it in front of a microphone and I just feel that with Helen as well she really cares and she's constantly playing with words even as she's doing her presenting she's just exhibiting this constant love of language and I love this episode as well because I think it really digs into the complexity of of language and the feedback loops that can sometimes occur where the you know the potency of of language of what we label things can then come to define what we think about them and it's really interesting as someone who I feel at the moment I don't really know what my generation is and the Mm -hmm. focus on millennials is perhaps skewed towards the fact that I don't know what the demographic for listening to the podcast is, but um, a lot of people talk about it being younger people. I wonder if they're placing that emphasis to try and appeal to the bigger audience. But when they started talking about the fact that millennials have a lot of hang-ups you know, on the fact that they're being defined uh, and they're being, you know, labelled with all of these negative traits. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's something that I've really thought a lot about. Um, there's a guy called Simon Sinek who seems to be getting a lot of traction on social media for saying, these are millennials and this is what they want and they ain't saying no and they're here to stay. And I'm like, I'm not part of this herd that you're trying to lump <laughs> me into. What is this? And I'm really glad that there was a, a real range of people that she was speaking to. So you've got the, the, the people who are right in amongst that experience of feeling that the, a generation is sort of crystallising around them. And then you've got people who who have this lucidity about what their uh, childhood meant to them and this shared consciousness uh, I think one of the interviewees talks about this shared consciousness about what they've been through I mean I did some interviews recently with some musicians who hadn't spoken to each other but both spoke so vividly about their experiences of existential uncertainty living uh, amongst the cold war and and not knowing whether the world was you know still going to be there the next day and it's became so clear to me that you know that's awaiting us in uh, later down the track we'll have this understanding of what we all shared together but um i love this podcast and i'm gonna dive right back in uh, i have no idea why i abandoned it and uh, feel a bit guilty about it but um freddie what what do you think about it i'm in exactly the same boat jack and um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for bringing it back into my life because um i i mentioned i was in the media earlier i'm a i'm a i'm a copywriter so i spend all of my life, um, or at least all of my working life, poring over the meaning and the the contextual um, relevance of words and the and how their meaning changes when they're used in different situations and uh, what they mean to one person might not be what they mean to the other person and how those words then go on to affect other things and that makes us sound really grand. It's usually not that grand, but it is something <laughs> I think about a lot. And so I really loved having this show back in my life. I think Helen Zaltzman, as you've mentioned, Jack, is, is an excellent host. Um, I, I hesitate to use the word passionate, um, and that probably, yeah, explains what I do for a living. But um, I, 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 I thought it was... She is incredibly passionate, as much as I hate the word. Uh, and... It, that that really really hit hit a chord with me in the sense that I can't not pay attention to someone who really really cares about what they're talking about, and, they, and that I think is is to Helen's credit because there's a lot of different subjects that the illusionist covers. Obviously, they're all around the etymology of words, but I I think that being able to dig into each you know each meaning or each kind of exploration of words and phrasing uh, in, in such a kind of involved and um, 
um, uh, an excitable and sincere way is is really commendable. Um, and and yeah, I, again, Jack, to agree with you, I found this episode particularly fascinating. And 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 Becky, again, you know, you were saying at the beginning that the the thing that makes this episode good is not just about finding out where the term millennial came from, but how it defines a generation. And um, yeah, I'm 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 in that boat of millennials, and I didn't I didn't think I was. And then they said what years you'd have to be born in to be a millennial. And I thought, oh, wow, I am solidly in the ground of being a millennial. But I describe my younger sister as a millennial, but I maybe wouldn't describe me as a millennial. And yeah, there is that aspect of, hang on, don't don't lump me in with these people because this is not me and this is not what I'm about. Yeah. But then I realized that I am renting and I can't afford a house. So maybe I am a millennial. <laughs> um, but um, it, but the, the kind of exploration, it just goes so deep. And I, I really, really enjoyed that. And um, Jack, I'm going to have to, you're going to have to indulge me for a second here, but it reminded me very much of your book that you wrote about <laughs> post-rock music and the genre of post-rock and where that term came from and how different people define that term and how that term for a genre went on to define a lot of other music. That's and I true. felt like this is much the same, where these different names for different generations have had a massive effect on, on those people. Um, and whether it's the the uh you know the the characteristics of the generation define the term or the term defines the characteristics of the generation i guess is a bigger a bigger argument i imagine it's somewhere down the middle but i did find it really really fascinating um so thank you for uh, reminding me of it hey <laughs> susan what do you make of it Oh, gee. Is there anything <laughs> left to say? <laughs> um, okay, maybe I'll find something. Uh, yeah, Beckett had already recommended this show to me, so I've ha- I have heard it before in the past. Mm. I love Helen so much that I'll listen to anything that she reads or does. Or, so that's... <laughs> That's a little too fangirly for anybody. But I thought it was really interesting that this show was short enough that it would, it could, let me start that again. This show is short enough that it could appeal to people who are very curious, but, and no offense to your book, might not want to dig into a subject that deeply, (laughs) but they do want to look at it from all different sides. And so I think that's the beauty of this show, is that you can give it a little bit of your time and look at a word and... uh, and in this case, in generations and the people that we know, because, you know, as you're listening to this, you're like dividing them up in your head. Right. Like my ki- I have a kid who's a who was born after 2005. And so, you know, what is he going to be? Hmm, what is, yeah. is is he an I generation? They're throwing around. Um, so Generation Z, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just I I think that it's great that we could look at it without getting so terribly wound up in it that you become as obsessed with words as Helen is, which is a good thing because she shares it with us and she's so good at editing it down for the common man, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. The end. (laughs) Well, I think that's the great thing about Helen is that I guess when you have that obsession with language, and it's like any expert, I guess, isn't it? You could potentially lose the ability to uh, relay that to someone. And also, I guess there is something great about doing this kind of podcast in that all of your guests are going to be super articulate because they're all language experts and, you know, they're going to have some zingers on standby. But, um, yeah, I I do... do like that she does have that curative 
ability that mm-hmm. you get the fact that she is nerding out big time but w- without you know leaving you in the dust uh, uh, right exactly yeah yeah exactly exactly i was surprised to learn how old she was i, I was surprised that how old <laughs> is she she said she was born in 1980 now, I remember 1980. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think she was older or younger? I, you know what? I, honestly, I hadn't really given it any thought. So when she said the year she was born, I was like, oh, my gosh, wow. I guess I thought she was closer to my age, maybe. Hmm. But that's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're dealing with some big subjects today. Susan, your recommendation as well keeps that going. Um, Would you like to tell us about your podcast? (laughs) My deep recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I like to listen to podcasts that are, you know, deeper like those other ones. But this one is such a breath of fresh air. It's called This Is Love. There's only six episodes of it. It is created by the same people who brought you Criminal. So Phoebe Judge is the host. It's kind of like Criminal, but with love stories. And it can be any kind of a love story. It could be parental love, romantic love, love of an activity, just love through the generations. It doesn't have to be romantic love. Although the episode that I chose was Always Tomorrow. And it is a conversation with a a romance writer. So there is, and it does start off really racy. So we don't have to talk about that part because it, I was like, oh, I can't pick this one. This is too, I can't talk like that about that stuff. But then I listened to the whole episode a second time, and I'm like, it's so sweet. It's such a charming story about how she wrote all of her novels, kind of based on her relationship with her husband, who she had met when she was 14. Yeah. It's yeah, it's just the storytelling is wonderful. Um, I love Phoebe Judge. She's amazing. So she interjects just enough. She's like the antithesis of me because I'm like super high energy. <laughs> and she is so chill. I'm like, I wish I had some of that. How do you get that? <laughs> Can I be that person? No, I cannot. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's a story of Brenda Jackson and her her story of becoming a writer. I am also a writer, so that appealed to me. I I don't write novels. I am a columnist for a newspaper, but I have written novels in the past. I have not published them, but I've written them. So I I know my story, but it was interesting to hear the story of someone who was successful because a lot like Beckett and I, she had her full-time job, and she did this as like a side thing for fun, and then it kind of became a side hustle because she sold stuff, and then it became her career. So I totally related to her, and I just loved her story, and I just love this podcast because it's just a short little, it's like a sweet. It's just like one chocolate at the end of a really long day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you relate to the being up at 3 a.m.? She said she woke up, like, before the day started to do her writing. Does that ring true to you guys? Uh, yeah, except we don't wake up at 3. <laughs> we stay. We, we have stayed up. Yeah. 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 Yeah, my husband wakes up at two thirty in a.m. for his job, oh. and there's times where I pass him on the stairs, or he comes down and has breakfast while I'm still doing something. Oh wow! Oh, I bet that's surreal. 
<laughs> well, it was, you know, in college, you pull all those all-nighters. You have no idea that that's preparing you for this. And then when you have kids, you don't get a whole lot of sleep. It's all interrupted and broken up. So maybe we were, maybe we were just prepared for this. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of I, I don't know what happened. I, I, I used to find three or four o'clock in the morning my most productive time for getting work done. You know, having stayed up all night and getting to three or four o'clock, I got the second wind and, and really went for it in terms of getting work done. And now it gets to 10 o'clock in the evening and I'm like, right, I'm done for the night. That's it. I'm, I'm ready to go to sleep. And uh, uh, that's, that's me out until six. So um, maybe I'm never going to write a novel on the side of my day job. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> well, even if this novel did, uh, sorry, this podcast didn't speak to your uh, circadian rhythms, Freddie, did it speak to your ears? <laughs> Chuck, you're, you're, um, you're on fire tonight, my friend. Um, yes, I, I absolutely love this. And I actually, uh, I do remember in a previous episode, we, we talked about the teaser for This Is Love. Because oh, yeah. I think it, it was some time ago. And I, actually, I was so intrigued by the teaser that I totally forgot to actually subscribe to the podcast and listen to it when it came out. So again, Susan, thank you so much for bringing it to my attention. Um, no uh, yeah, and, and um, you know, what was interesting was that I really didn't get on with Criminal as a podcast. I tried it, and I, I didn't like it, but I did really enjoy uh, Phoebe Judge as a host. I thought she was very good, and as you mentioned, she is very good at knowing when and when not to interject into a conversation, and she just chips in enough to keep things going and to keep things interesting, and there were just some lovely little exchanges. Very very, very tiny exchanges, but I think they work really, really well. Um, I loved the length of the podcast, which it's maybe a silly thing to, to, to point out, but I just liked that it kind of wraps up as, as quickly as it does. Um, as you say, it's it's just short and sweet, and it's and it's and it's a nice little show. I think the um, the story itself is a really, really interesting story. Um, again, not not something that I think I would go out and choose to listen to if someone said would you like to listen to a story about someone who writes romance novels and how they got to that point i probably wouldn't choose to if there was a choice of listening to something else but actually i ended up really really getting engrossed and intrigued by this and i think it's really interesting to uh to find out that um people who you know you may have some kind of like preconceptions about the kind of people who write this kind of uh literature and uh, and i guess that this podcast broke all those preconceptions which is which is really interesting in itself Mm. um so yeah i really really enjoyed it jack how about you? I've got no, I've got no great witty line for you, unfortunately, this evening. But please just, <laughs> just, just tell me what you thought. Witty, uh, yeah. I read uh, Phoebe Judge. I mean, honestly, she, I think, does such an understatedly good job. I mean, like you, I've, Criminal never clicked with me at the time, but my brother listens to it all the time, and I think I'm going to give it another go, having enjoyed this, because she just seems to have this ability to deal with what I guess could be quite sensitive subject matter stuff that's quite close to someone's life you know in either a positive or negative way which still requires i think a lot of sensitivity on the part of the person doing the question asking she handles it so gracefully and so cleverly what i really liked about this podcast is just there were so many subtle aspects of it that i thought were really really clever i think that um sort of 
at the start there was that sort of left turn that it took where you've got someone who comes out of the gate sounding like a prude uh, and you know <laughs> someone who couldn't say all those naughty words and then you find out what she does for a living and you're like how is this going to work then there's also <laughs> the aspect that you I, I think there's always this thing when I hear about someone writing romance you wonder if it's a form of escapism or, or maybe sort of proxy fulfillment of of something that perhaps doesn't exist in reality and I think the podcast knows this and I think it doesn't give you Gerald the husband it doesn't give you him straight away and it doesn't give you the full extent of their relationship right away it trickles it in to the point where by the end of the podcast he's fully formed and the love between the author and uh, Gerald her husband is just this fully fledged thing and you start to realize that uh, well as I understood it that her writing was almost like a love letter to her husband or a celebration of what they had and almost again this feedback loop of you know being inspired by her writing and also inspiring her writing as as well and I, I think the podcast leaves a lot open as well I think when it says this is love I think it is trying to exhibit love in all its complication and strangeness and nuance I mean there's places this uh, episode goes that uh, you know relate to politics and race as well where it takes these turns and it gets quite dark at certain points and I just love that. It's like this full expose of everything that, you know, love can be sort of messy and lovely. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but I, I just, yeah, I, I was really, really sold on it. I think as well, for a podcast to have such a dramatic title like This Is Love, I, I thought nuance was the last thing I was going to get. So I was so glad that it was so <laughs> carefully crafted. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, Beckett, what did you rank of it? What I think she has brought out here is a personality, a history. And what I thought mm. of this episode was that it was like a history podcast, except for you can actually talk to the subject. Right. Um, I think oral history is a largely neglected field. I know universities are, you know, catching up. There's just not enough of catching these kind of things before the subjects are gone. Mm. All your sources are going. And, for example, what picture would we have had of Jane Austen if we had been able to send Phoebe out to draw her out and record her? I think we'd see a vastly different Jane Austen than the one we can only tell about from paper yes so that that's what i viewed this episode as is oral history yeah that's great <laughs> <laughs> we should uh go with our final recommendation here uh, and it is mine it's a podcast called the start which is a podcast from the guardian produced by uh, eva krisiak who has actually been a guest on this podcast before and we've also talked about her podcast uh, her other podcast everyone else and this is a new podcast uh, about artistic beginnings which centers on interviews with artists directors musicians uh, about their earlier work and i think that's an interesting angle to take it almost follows on from you know what we were saying about this is love in that 
I think a lot of the time, especially when the artist is still doing stuff, there's a, a focus on what they're doing right now, and their past work gets maybe a fleeting mention, but never gets a full, or rarely gets a full revisiting, you know, unless it's like 20 years since it came out or whatever. But I think this podcast understands how, you know, the, the current work is informed by the past work, but also how the lens of retrospect has a really interesting effect on, you know, the perception of a work which is just gone or you know that an artist started with and uh, this podcast is very much produced in the style of everyone else so the narrator is pretty much absent it's essentially just the interviewee talking and these snatches of, of quotes from the interviewee floating in amongst this ambient music with these gaps where you know, maybe in other circumstances more explanation would be or, you know, the interviewer would be just fleshing things out and instead the podcast chooses not to fill them in um so there's this room and this this ambiguity i think with this podcast where uh, i think it almost respects its um the art that it's dealing with in that way and that it leaves it open and allows the listener to join the dots if they please so the one i picked was on a, a, a iranian artist called um shirin nashat who um, is now based in New York, and she talks about a video work she made called Turbulent, which contains a lot of reflections on place and identity and, and placelessness as well, but also on the power of music as you know a force of liberation and, and something that's channeling tradition as well and uh, but again these are all things that kind of brew up i think in the listener's head rather than being you know put on a plate and fed to you so you know, i really like it as a podcast i've listened to a, a few more there's one with ai Weiwei, which is excellent and um my dad's a big fan as well he's been telling me about his favorite episodes so uh, that's a plus um but i'd love to know what you think of it <laughs> sorry i should have directed that at someone shouldn't i you can't do that eh? but it's a skype call when you're not pointing at someone especially not when there's four people involved and not just three. <laughs> yeah, my bad. <laughs> um susan what do you reckon um okay you in your description of it um, that you sent to us, so you didn't say it here, but I think you called it a beautiful podcast, and I compl- I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> He's just being overly dramatic. But no, it was beautiful. I think of the four shows that we listened to, this was the most commercial sounding, and it should have been. Mm. You know, it's from The Guardian. It should have been the highest level, uh, you know, of l- level of listening. You know, we should listen to it and go, I would pay to listen to this thing. Mm. And the... Just the concept alone was huge. You're gonna, she's gonna talk about a piece of art that we would see with our eyes, but she's gonna talk about it and we never see it. So you, this could fall flat really fast, <laughs> and it didn't at all. I just, I love the use of the music and the songs, and it actually made me go look at the um, the video online. It's on YouTube, and it's it's a, it's a strong statement. I think. Mm, I need to do that. I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, uh, Beckett, what do you reckon? Well, very briefly, one thing I was struck by was 
the artist and how she discovered um, that gradually she found herself to be a voice reflecting current events and recent history, which is how not how she had set out to be at all. Almost like what was meant to be her focus was revealed to her just by the passage of time and um, by the things that struck her in her own work. And this show really gave me a gift, I think, of some emotion that I can only call nostalgia for a place that, in fact, I've never been. And I don't know what the word would be for it. I I just um, had a wish. I, I, that's, I, I don't know what to call it, a wish or just... Um, a feeling of longing, perhaps. Now, I will confess I'm not a big fan of the absent narrator. I What I missed about this was kind of some context. Um, I like to have a proxy of myself interacting with the subject a little. So in that regard, um, it didn't get me fully, but, um, but it did get me. So it was a very good job. Oh, nice. And Freddie, what do you think? Yeah, so um, as you said, Jack, we, we've had Eva on on the uh, on the podcast before, and, and we've discussed everyone else, which is her other show. And there's so much of everyone else in the start, yes. um, which is to be expected because it's such a um, it's such a unique way of doing it, and it is a somewhat polarizing thing, I guess, in some ways. That in some ways you're you're eternally grateful for not listening to someone else put their kind of lens. Or, or opinion over over a piece of work that an artist is describing, but in another way, you kind of want that interpretation or you want that conversation. And um, I find myself kind of flipping between the two kind of reactions to to the kind of presenterless podcast. Um, I do really really like the way it's produced. I think it, it is it is a beautifully put together uh, show, and the, and the, the the just the way that that there are those large gaps allowed me to just do some contemplation of over what i just heard which is lovely i was walking to work when i listened to it and uh and it was just nice to kind of like you know hear hear what someone was saying and then kind of like almost hear it again in your own head in that kind of small gap that you had before they started to say it again and i think it's a really really interesting concept for a show as well is to uh speak to an artist about their early work or their first piece of work their breakthrough work because i feel like uh with with a lot of these things that works the the work and i think this applies across most fields of art if not all fields of art that that early work or that piece of breakthrough work is the piece of work that's not dogged by expectation or um you know any kind of commercial expectation i guess it's the piece of work where the artist uh, to an extent cares the least about the reaction because they're not expecting the reaction i don't think it's very rare that that an artist will create a piece of work especially before they become famous or sought after uh where they think if i do this i'm going to be famous and I think you know that that's a path to failure in a lot of ways. So I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I kind of feel like I, I kind of feel like that that exploring that work is the most interesting work you can explore. I think you know I can't really compare it to anyone else off the top of my head, but I think if you speak to artists about their latter work, their work that's perhaps informed by critical reaction, it would be very different and perhaps a little more boring. 
that's my thought anyway I think um, there is a sense that maybe there's a narrative around first works, isn't there? Because they're learning lessons and they come out the other side like, oh, that's what that feels like. And then the next time they go to do it, perhaps they've already worn the road down a bit. So, Mm. you know, there's more of a story brewing there. But, um, well, I'm glad that got a positive reception. I want to just ask you both a couple of questions, Susan Beckett, about your podcast. I mean... I have been having the best time because I think listening to your podcast, it sounds like you're having the best time. Um, (laughs) I mean, is that the case? Uh, I mean, are these podcasts enjoyable to put together? They really are. They really are. And Susan and I are really good friends. We know each other very well, but yet are completely different. (laughs) Um, and, And so our technique of not talking to each other, we talk to each other, but not about the subject. So when we come together to talk about Our Lady that we're covering, she brings things to the table that I never found out and she delights me and I can't you know say that I delight her but maybe I do but she definitely (laughs) delights me with um some of the things she brings to the table and so yes we genuinely have a a good time even those episodes where we don't accompany it with a beverage (laughs) sometimes we do (laughs) or a chuck bucket there was one episode I was I was really sick. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, let's fun. talk about that now. I think what, <laughs> what, the thing that works with us the best is that Beckett and I were friends, but on like um, a very superficial level. Before we started the podcast, she came to me and I was just flattered. She was like the cool kid at school asking me to come hang out with her. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and I knew I was going to like fall on my face and be super awkward. And I was, but she accepted me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, I'm in with the cool kids. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so, but we developed our, I don't even want to call it a working relationship because it's a friendship, uh, but it is a working relationship, I guess, um, through the show. So it's seven years. We've been together seven years. You know, things you learn things about the other person. And so that's why it's so much fun. I think we truly love each other and it comes across. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so you don't share notes at all before you come together to record it? We nope. do not. Wow. Nope. Blimey. We pick our sub. We pick our subject, um, and it's a very, very complicated system. <laughs> the picking our subject. Yeah. Who do you want to call? I don't know. Her? Yeah. Okay. That's good. And um, <laughs> we have, although we have a list thousands of names long that we've come up with, and listeners have suggested over the years. It's it's very rare to get a new name on the list. They're all already on there somewhere. So. We have that list, but um, yeah, we pick the subject, then we go off independently. We don't even have the same library system where she Mm -hmm. lives and where I live, so she has uh, access to a different set of books and materials than I do, and so we just write write up the woman's story from birth to death and uh, come together. That's great. I mean, certainly from listening to it, that feels like where a lot of the maybe the dynamic comes from then, because you don't know where. It's not like you're both trading the narration of stuff that you've already agreed, like, oh, now you read this bit, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, that's, right. that's fantastic. I mean, it sounds like as well, because um, we emailed during the week before recording, uh, it sounded like you were really deep on editing. Uh, I mean, also as well, I mean, the amount of detail that goes into these, it, sometimes I forget that it's history, because 
it's, you know, often you listen to stuff about history and it's like, oh, this person lived here and, you know, enjoyed this one activity and, uh, you know, and that's what they did from zero to 18. And, and there's an abstraction there. But with you, it's just so present. But I'm like, how much work goes into making this? I mean, how long does it take to put a podcast together? Well, and you know, the research is like Summerstock Theater. I don't know if you've ever done Summerstock. You'll be producing one while working on the next one. Right. And so there are subjects, um, Eleanor Roosevelt, who we have not yet covered, that require so much research that we have been at her for months in the background, you know, percolating. Um, The subject we're covering next, I'd say we've been at least casually researching for a year because we felt like she needed more work. So Mm -hmm. there's really no quantifying um, wow. The amount of actual time. We are notorious for reading at the baseball fields in the bleachers. We'll always be reading. People will come up to us and go, who is it this time? And they just know. <laughs> oh, and, well, and my librarian, the head of the library in my town, he listens. He's like, he's he calls himself a fan and it makes me blush. But... <laughs> You know, he's like, who's next? Who's next? Who are we going to talk about? You know, you need to cover Isadora Duncan, he says. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. And it's like every three weeks, is it, that you put an episode out? It is. It's every three weeks. And then we have a side project called The Recapery, where we are annotating um, movies and TV shows of historical interest also. Wow. Because one podcast isn't isn't enough you need to right. go. <laughs> yeah. well we were doing it on the history chicks on the biography show we were covering um lucy maud montgomery and we covered Anne with an e which was a netflix series and beckett and i had so much fun with it we're like yeah let's do this again but then we're like well it isn't a biography it's different so let's break it off to its own show not just Anne with an e but we'll do the crown which is what we started with and right now we're um doing uh, sophia Cole as Marie Antoinette, that movie. So, yeah, so it's its own, you know, I think it'll have, there'll be a lot of crossover audience, but I think there will be audience um, in and of itself for that show. They don't listen to the biographies. And I think our philosophy on history comes out in both shows, which is that history is really nothing more than the stories of people who happened to be born in a different time. (laughs) And their own culture affected, I mean, people are people. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. evolution has not worked that quickly. So um, we have the same reactions to, to stimuli. It's just that we were brought up differently and we have different expectations placed upon us, especially if we were women. Um, and so that makes it easier for us to, say, become friends with someone um, when we realize they're very human elements as well as the thing that they're the most famous for. Is that maybe speaking to the fact that, I guess, in some people's minds, history has this impression of being complete i don't know unrelatable maybe or just something that it's like i don't know you study history but you don't get to know the people yeah i mean i feel like you know it's 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 refreshing to hear that on the basis that i I, the the bits that i remember from studying history classes at school were 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 talking about characters and i say characters because people like people like henry the eighth and william wallace who were who were who were 
almost described as, you know, characters, you know, larger-than-life, uh, unusual people who were vastly different to who I was. And and it's nice to, to hear that philosophy and hear it described in that way, that these people were just people. They were just a product of their time and a product of uh, uh, of the, the culture around them at that time. But, uh, you know, effectively, they're the same as you and I. And that's nice to hear because I think there's almost, like, the, the kind of history classes I had at school almost, in some ways, for the best but in some ways not straight into this kind of fantasy where people were eight foot tall and ten foot wide and <laughs> yeah. you know had these magnificent feasts seven times a day and you know um you know led for scottish independence i i, I guess it's nice to hear it portrayed in a different way well thank you well thank you well it's it's been really wonderful to have you both on thank you so much for coming on and sharing some wicked podcast recommendations it's been great <laughs> Thank you for having us on. And um, if people want to keep up to date with what you're up to, is there a best place to the, for them to be going on the internet? Our website is thehistorychicks.com. Um, we have a public Facebook page, at The History Chicks, but we have a private group that we formed a few months ago, started to, and there's a lot of activity in there, <laughs> and it's called The History Chicks Podcast Lounge. So I think that's probably the place where you can get us a lot, although we're also on Twitter and Instagram. Great. And we'll include those links in the, in the show notes as well. Fantastic. Um, Freddie, whereabouts are we? You can find us at episode underscore party on Twitter and we are at www.episode.party um, on the World Wide Web. Nice. You're getting really good at that. Um, so Thanks. that's uh, it for all of us. So thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hi, it's Jack again. Thank you so much for listening to Episode Party. If you've been enjoying the show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. It would mean a lot. Thank you so much. Goodbye.